Well, good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you have braved the winter weather and have joined us here at church this morning. We hope that everyone enjoyed looking at the snow and all of the joy that that brings for some of us. Uh, If you are a guest here with us today, we welcome you. We are glad that you have uh, chosen to join us in worship today. The white poinsettia that's placed among the red ones today are placed in the loving memory of Daniel Green for his December 12th birthday by his parents Richard and Linda Green. One week from today, December 17th, we look forward to the special Christmas cantata at 9 a.m. This will be happening at First Baptist in Shelby, and then here at 1055, that will be happening in our morning worship. We are glad that you have chosen to worship with us as we continue in this season of Advent. May the peace of Christ reign in our hearts this morning as we worship.
If you would now, uh, please pick up a hymnal and turn to uh, hymn number 85 as we sing together the first Noel. Let's stand as we sing, please.
for this second Sunday of Advent is peace. Surely that is one of the most beautiful words in any language. In a world that's so, that is so often torn by war and hatred, we long for, ache for, peace. We are tempted, of course, to stop there. But today we covenant with God to do more than long for peace or even to pray for peace. Today we vow to work for peace whenever and wherever we are given opportunity. Let us not just be peace lovers, but peacemakers in the spirit of the one whose birth we are preparing to celebrate. May we now sing the second stanza of Light the Light, the Fire of Life, while the candles of hope and peace are being lighted. Let's pray. Dear Creator who desires justice in an unjust world, may we be instruments of your peace. May we, will, may we live our lives so that we may break down the walls of hostility in our families, in our communities, and in our world. May we replace vengeance with kindness, judgmental attitudes with empathy, and stubbornness with a willing spirit. Amen. I the children to come forward for lesson on the steps. How are you guys? Oh, look at there. You're underneath the flowers, just looking quite handsome there, James. I want to show you a book this, this morning that Pastor Keith shared with me the other day. But I don't think he knew that earlier that week I had gotten this beautiful picture of a lamb. You see my lamb, Jude? So I want to tell you just a little bit about my lamb based on the story called The Crippled Lamb. And this is a story about a lamb who was very sad because he wasn't like other lambs. And he was slow. He wasn't all white. And the only friend he had was Abigail the cow. And when it was time for the sheep and the shepherds to leave and go to a greener pasture, they left Joshua because he was too slow and that he would keep them from getting where they need to go. But all the time that he was with the shepherds and with the sheep, Abigail kept telling him, Joshua, God has a plan for you. Please don't be sad. So when the shepherds left with their sheep, 
Abigail and Joshua were left, and they were tired. So Abigail took Joshua to the stable, and they lay down. And during the night, Joshua heard something. And he woke up, and there was Mary and the baby. And he was afraid, but he couldn't understand. But he got up and went to Mary, and he realized the baby was cold. Mary took the baby out of the stable and out of the manger and laid him beside Joshua. And you know, sheep have lots of hair and they're furry, and he was all warm and cuddly, and he warmed Jesus. And Abigail said to him, Joshua, I told you, and I'm here to tell you, God had a special plan for you, and this is what it is. So when I look at my lamb that a special friend gave to me, I don't only see the lamb looking back to see what the shepherds are doing. I look at the lamb that kept Jesus warm on the night he was born. Let us pray. Jesus, as we open our hearts to the season of the year, we open our hearts to these children and the desire that they have to know you better. As we approach the celebration of your life and your birth, open all of our hearts to the fact that we are all different. We all celebrate differently. But you, Lord, have a special place for each and every one of us. And for that, Lord, we say today and every day, thank you. Help us to celebrate life, Lord, and enjoy your, life, your day and the beauty around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My mission involvement began as a sunbeam, now missions friends. Since then, I've been actively involved in Women's Missionary Union where I learned that supporting missionaries including, included praying for the missionaries' daily, physical, and spiritual needs, giving time and money to do missions, and going to do missions locally and globally to honor the sacrifice of Jesus so that others also might have a personal relationship with him. John and Doris McGee had a major influence on my decision regarding giving to missions. John and Doris McGee served 33 years in Nigeria as agricultural missionaries and retired to Fruitland Baptist Church and Fruitland Bible Institute. They live two houses from the church, which is across the street from the Institute. I met them for the first time in the late 1970s when they were the speakers 
for the International Missions Emphasis at Refuge Baptist Church in Dana, North Carolina. And then they spoke at the Carolinas Association Act Team's lock-in at Camp Bearwalla while I was the Associational Act Team Director. There the young ladies asked many questions, including, how much do you still give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? To which John answered, Doris and I have given a minimum of $500 each year since retirement. We know the work God called us to do required a commitment while active on the field in Nigeria, and he calls us to be active in our retirement. Remember that in the 1970s and 80s, $500 was a lot of money. And remember, they were living on their retirement income. My last contact with John and Doris McGee was in 1983, when he shared his garden plot for a weekend retreat at Camp Bearwalla, cabbage so large that one half of it provided slaw and the other half made steamed cabbage for 40 participants. His yellow squash provided both fried squash and steamed, steamed squash. His white potatoes provided both fried potatoes with his homegrown onions and whipped potatoes. His carrots and green beans also enhanced that evening meal. I made a commitment to God that I have honored since then that I would support missions with no less than what John and Doris McGee had. You may give any time this month and on our in-gathering day on December the 24th. Thank you, Ruth, and I just want to echo what she said. You can give today, you can give at any time. Our in-gathering will be the 24th, and then we will continue to collect that for a few weeks following uh, the Christmas Eve service as well. But again, as Alan said and others, we are glad that you are here at Boiling Springs Baptist this morning. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is here, and uh, I anticipate Him continuing to move in my own heart and in the hearts of those gathered here this morning. Let me remind you that we are caroling today at four, and as we come together and enjoy a very special service this morning with lights and handbells, and it's just a very special time, let us be mindful of those who cannot be here to enjoy such a service. And uh, will you join with me and others today at four? We'll meet here in the sanctuary, and weather permitting, we will go and carol. It should be a great afternoon to do that. And so you come, if you can, uh, singing the right key or remembering all the words to the songs is not a requirement. So please come and be here if you can, and that will be a blessing, I know, to all those who we will go to, but it will also be a blessing to us who sing as well. Let me also just mention something. I feel like this is the time where I need to do this, but in, um, in January, 
of 2018, we will have, be having a study on Sunday nights based around the, this book. It's called Growing Young. But uh, I don't need to be the one to tell you that we don't see as many uh, 18 to 29-year-olds in church today maybe as we, as we once have. And this book looks at a study of, 200, whoa, of 250 churches throughout um, uh, our country from different denominations, different backgrounds, and they've come up with six essential uh, strategies that churches are using to effectively engage younger people. And uh, we need all ages to be present at this study in January. And so I want to encourage you now to be thinking about that. And the reason I'm telling you that now is that if you would like to have a copy of the book, please let me know. For $10, we will order you one, and you can be reading that over Christmas. But again, we, that's something we would like to have, again, for all ages to be present for this study. Before I pray this morning, let us be mindful of Jane Stroud. She has had a very difficult week, but in the last 48 hours has begun to see some improvement, and we praise the Lord for that. But she continues to need our prayers. Terry Hamrick had hip surgery this week and is at home doing well, and we want to remember her in our prayers as well. As always, Reed Murray, and we have others on our list that are in continual need of our thoughts and prayers. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift of snow that you have sent us over the last 24 hours. We're grateful for safety that you have provided for us, and we're grateful for the warm homes at which we can enjoy watching it fall. Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity to be together with your people today. We come in here, each of us, with different things on our hearts and our minds. And Father, at this time, we give those things that could be a distraction for us and for you speaking to us today. We lay those things at your feet. Father, we pray for Jane Stroud, for continued strength and healing. We pray that as well for Terry Hamrick. We know of others, Lord, who need your touch today, and we pray that you would meet them at the point of their need. For our missionaries that Ruth reminded us of this morning, both here locally and around the world, Father, we pray for your protection and provision for them, and we pray for fruitful ministries. Lord, may they know of our love and our support, and Father, may you bless them wherever they may be serving you this morning. Father, we also pray for our men and women in uniform, for their safety and for their provision. Lord, we also pray for our leaders of our country and for our world. As we talk about peace this morning, Father, that is our heart's desire. Father, there seems to be a lack of peace, both within our communities at times, and Father, certainly in our country and around the world. And Father, help us as your people, as your church, the church of Jesus Christ, to be people that exemplify peace, both in our words and in our actions. Father, we thank you again for this service today. We ask for your blessings on it, for each prayer, each song, your word as it is read and preached today. Speak to us and meet each of us at the point of our need. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Amen. Our hymn is number 86, O Little Town of Bethlehem, 86. If you are able, please stand and join in singing.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, do give you thanks for the day. We, we thank you for the snow that uh, we can admire your wonders there, Lord. Lord, we, as we come into the season of Christmas, we think about giving, Lord. And as we think about giving, I think about the food pantry, Lord. And, you know, I think about Joe and, and uh, the folks that sing with him, Lord. We, we thank you for them and thank you for giving of their time and everything. Lord, I pray that the food closet is filled. And Lord, I, I just pray that the folks that come to the food closet, that they see Jesus in us, Lord. Lord, uh, as we come time to take up our offering, Lord, I pray that you uh, not only bless the gift, but you also bless the giver. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
scripture this morning is Mark 1, 1 through 8. I'll be reading out of the NIV version and in your pew Bibles, it'll be on page 867. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And, it, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, choir. Candy, you've been busy this morning. (laughs) 
and thank you handbells. What a joy to have them in the service. As, Mark, as Mike read Mark 1, 1 through 8, uh, great text this morning uh, for where we're headed with our Advent season. I mentioned last week, I can't think of any of us that do not enjoy a really good movie. And the sermon series throughout Advent is, is called, or is titled, Coming Soon. And last week, we looked at the fact if the Christmas story plays out like a movie, last week was a little bit of the trailer. It's to remind us that God is up to something. And at any point, in any time, God could intervene and do something big. And we go throughout our Advent season, we go throughout this Christmas season with that anticipation of what is to come, not only with our celebration of, the, of Christmas and gifts and all that, but we hopefully as, as believers go with that anticipation and move forward throughout Advent with that anticipation that God is going to show up in unique ways as we await and as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I hope you have come this morning. I have already sensed this anticipation as we've listened to the bells and as we've sung and as we've prayed and as we've worshiped and gathered together and given of our tithes and offerings. An anticipation. We worship, we gather, not only to celebrate our Christ and to worship Christ, but we gather anticipating Him to move among us as we gather as His people. But not only that, but a move among us as we leave this place today. And what might He have in store? How might He show up in new and unexpected ways for you this coming week? This last week as a pastor, it was a blessing to watch and just to observe uh, our senior lunch that we had here this week. And, and that God, just the, just the spirit that was there at that. And then our Broughton dinner and to see tears in people's eyes as we welcomed and celebrated and worshiped with and shared a meal with uh, our friends from Broughton. And it was just a wonderful time. That and there was other opportunities this week as well where I, were able, was I, where I was able to see God at work and showing up in some unexpected Ways. And so I hope we can continue with that spirit of anticipation this morning as we seek to welcome in the Christ child this month. Today, as we set the scene for what is coming, we're introduced to the first character in our story. Uh, today's sermon is titled Setting the Scene. And Mark, the earliest gospel that we have in our scriptures, and the very first story in the earliest gospel that we have, he introduces us to a man named John the Baptist. Mike, I appreciate you reading that this morning. Uh, this was, uh, he was a character, to say the least. We have a few of those at church, but I'm not going to name any names today, okay? Um, there's a few of you that are certainly characters. But have you ever heard someone say in your family, you can choose your friends, but not your relatives? <laughs> you ever heard anybody say that? You can choose your friends, but not your relatives. I wonder if anyone ever said that to Jesus about his weird cousin, John the Baptist. And I say weird in all res most respectful way, that I guess, that I can say that. But the scripture tells us that he was a little different. He wore camel's hair for clothing. I'm glad none of you do that. He, he had a belt, uh, a leather belt to gird his waist. Now, that's probably the only thing that I have in common with him this morning would be that belt. But he also says he ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, I have eaten a little bit of honey, but nevertheless, we, the way the scripture introduces us to John the Baptist, he sounds like quite a character. Um, he was probably, we don't know, but uh, he was probably lacking in some social skills. He was probably a man that was devoid of, of diplomacy. He probably, it was probably his way. It probably wasn't a let's sit down and talk about this type thing. But it was uh, most likely he was void of, dis, of diplomacy and he, as he launches a message of doom and gloom. We can easily forget that John the Baptist was the product of good nurture. He had good parents. Um, 
Elizabeth and Zechariah were both the priestly lineage. They were elderly, and no doubt it was difficult at times for them to deal with their independent son. Some of you, we won't name names or point fingers or don't look at anybody right now, but some of us have known to be a little bit independent. And uh, from good parents, Zechariah and and Elizabeth, uh, they probably had their times of challenge dealing with one who was so independently minded. We do not know when and why John left home. He was raised, however, by, again, solid spiritual parents in the traditions of the faith. And he knew the pilgrimage. He knew the people and the places of, of, of his Hebrew roots. Mark connects him to his heritage by quoting from Isaiah in his introduction that Mike read. Let me read it once more. He said, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. He was the fulfillment of the old prophecies, but he was also the fulfillment of something totally new. We find that John the Baptist in the wilderness, before Jesus even arrives on the scene, the work of Christ is already beginning. The scripture tells us that he again was sent as one to prepare the way for the message of Christ. John is baptizing and preaching repentance. He's preaching of one stronger than I. And while it may seem that John is doing much of the work that Jesus is coming to do, John is very clear that his work is limited. His work is merely preparation of the one who will baptize, as Scripture tells us in verse 8 of chapter 1, with the Holy Spirit. John is setting the scene for the coming of Christ and is actively involved in preparing people to hear the good news of Jesus. John is preparing the way for Jesus as hearts are being changed out in the desert. We know from the scriptures that the story of Jesus didn't just begin here with John the Baptist or even with the dreams of the Old Testament prophets, but the story of Jesus began from the very beginning in the mind of God. It is also my firm belief that history does not play itself out like a random kaleidoscope. Some people will lead us to believe that, that history, that the world began and God was in the instrumental in everything years ago, but now has just kind of let things go awry. It is not my belief that history plays out like a random kaleidoscope of disconnected events, but it is a process directed by God alone who can see the end there in the beginning. The great thing about this is that you and I are a part of the process of what God wants to do in our world. We can help that process, or as we also know that we can hinder that process. It helps us as we study, excuse me, and look to John the Baptist, it helps us to, to know and to understand how his message was different, how his message was different than those who have come before him. John came announcing the baptism of repentance. And in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, let me remind you, it says, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. When a Gentile became a proselyte or a convert to Jewish faith, there were three things that were asked of this one converting from uh, being, well, to to Judaism. Three things that were being asked of them. One is that they undergo circumcision. It was a a mark of the covenant people. The second thing was they, a sacrifice must be made. Uh, Scripture clearly teaches us uh, that uh, blood can atone for sin. And And the third thing is he had to undergo baptism. 
which symbolized a cleansing from all the pollution of the past life. So what was different about John's message is he was asking Jews to submit to what only a Gentile was asked to submit to. So he's asking Jews to confess their sins. And I would propose to you this morning that before true repentance, before true change can happen, this is one of the key messages this morning from the passage, is that you and I are also asked to repent of our sins as well. For any act of returning to God, confession must be made to three different people. It must be made to ourselves, we must, well, first to himself, we must ask God to forgive us of our wrongs, of our sins, where we have fallen short. If we have wronged a brother and sister, we must also go to them and ask forgiveness from them as well. The scripture is very clear about that teaching. And the last is we must make a confession to God. It is the man who kneels in humility, acknowledging God, be merciful to me, a sinner, that is a changed man. And I would propose to you that we cannot experience Christ in his fullness and everything that he has for us until we come to that point of confession. And John the Baptist is preaching this, and this is a new message. It wasn't just about following laws. It wasn't just about following the rules, but it was confessing, repenting, and turning fully to God. For John the Baptist, and for the people who was hearing, hearing his message out in the Judean desert, it was not business as usual. The message that he had for the people was a game changer. From this point forward, things are going to be different. I propose to you that the day we are living in has changed and is continually changing. I don't have to tell you that. If you're living under, I mean, if we're not living under a rock, we know that by watching the news, by reading the news, whether it's on your devices, in the papers, however, however you may receive your news, the world is changing dramatically. And in many days, certainly not for the better. If we, like our main character, John the Baptist, are also actively involved in preparing people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, then what does this look like? What does that look like? What do we need to be mindful of due to the fact that it's not business as usual for the church as well? There's no single response that can adequately address all the issues that we're dealing with in our world today. There's no one-size-fits-all solution, nor is there an election result that can fix this once and for all, as many hope for. This morning, I'll be sharing three reflections that I hope and pray can be helpful for churches and church leaders. I have combined my own thoughts with that of a pastor named Kerry Wooroff, Newoff, I can't, can't pronounce his last name very well, but um, three, re- three reflections that like John the Baptist will help the church in setting the scene for the message of Jesus. If you and I are gonna take the message of Jesus and prepare the way for others like John the Baptist to come to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then what are some things we need to be mindful of? The first, what the church is doing now is more important than ever, not less important. What the church is doing today is more important than ever, not less important. What we are doing and what we are not doing matters to God and matters to the world in which you and I live. We are now in a new era. We've always had evil in our world, but now we're we're living in a reality that is new to many of us. Uh, Our emotions some days are all over the map with anger, with um, 
maybe uh, a vengeful spirit at times towards those who harm America or those who harm innocent people. But whether it's hearing about shootings, whether it's hearing about wars, whether it's hearing about abuse, whether it's hearing about inappropriate uh, actions in the workplace toward coworkers, we're hearing of more and more things and we're wanting a solution. We're seeking, as many are, uh, the right people to be in the right places of leadership, to be in the right office. And some are seeking that as their only solution. But I think most of us in this place today know that it will not be found solely in whom we elect to leadership. This is a time for the church to be the church. It's time for the church to be the, new, to be the church in new ways, in creative ways, in innovative ways. It's time for the church not only to be the church both in our words, but in our actions as well. The days of playing church or simply going to church are beginning to draw to a close. You can debate parts of Scripture all you want, but one thing that is undeniable is that Jesus said his followers would be known by what? In John 13, 35, by our love for one another. How are we doing in this church? How is, how is this church doing as a, as, as, a, as a church, but how are we loving one another as the body of Christ and is the world taking notice of this? This, more than anything, is what Christians need to be known for. Families need this love, victims need this love, perpetrators need this love, children need this love. The gospel moves us to love when all that is left to do is hate. As the gospel spreads from person to person, from life to life, from community to community, nation to nations, we are transformed. And you and I are called to preach the love of Christ like we were changing the world. And that is truly what we are doing. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still changing lives and God desires to see his church offering the hope that is found in his son. This is something we could go on and on about. We are mindful that in many corners of our world and some of our communities not too far from here are very dark. For those of you who work with children, and I know we have many in our church, as I've had opportunities over the last couple weeks to be in different settings with different children, we are mindful of how these children need to not only have parents, but need to have church and family and a community surrounding them that can help them face many of the dark things that they are faced with today. The next reflection that, like John the Baptist, will help the church in setting the scene for the message of Jesus, not only is the church's role important, but also another reflection, confession and humility, confession and humility are more important than ever. Two things that seem to be lacking in many of our leaders today, and unfortunately many of our Christian leaders, confession and humility. There are two characteristics of Christianity that run to the core of our faith. The opposite of confession, which we've seen from the beginning of time and we read in the beginning of our scripture in Genesis, is to blame. If we will not take ownership for our sin, the first thing we do is blame and point the finger. It's an instinctive reaction that most of us have. A lack of humility pushes people and nations into standoffs that deepen the divide and escalate the ruin. The truth is other religions aren't the only religions that have spoken hate. Christians have done this as well. And so therefore, confession is needed in the church as well. We need to pray, we need to repent, and we need to carry deep inside of us the knowledge that we too are broken and that we too are in need of grace and that we too are in need of forgiveness. The posture can't change everything, 
but it will change more than you think. Confession and humility. The last reflection that I want to mention this morning, like John the Baptist, that will help the church in setting the scene for the message of Christ, external regulations cannot override internal values. And you're thinking, how in the world does this relate to John the Baptist? Again, external regulations cannot override internal values. I mentioned earlier that John the Baptist is preaching a new message. It wasn't about the laws that the Jewish leaders imposed upon those uh, of the Jewish faith. And we still see this today in many, in many uh, Christians, in many churches today. It's not about the law, but it's a matter of the heart. But their heart, as we see in Scripture, in many cases were far from Christ. John's message was a new message, a message of repentance and confession. We cannot legislate ourselves away to a safer and better world free of terror. Let me say that again. We cannot legislate our way to a safer world free of terror. Our internal values are more important than our external regulations. I'm all in favor of better laws and smarter laws and doing all we can to make sure that evil does not win, but laws alone cannot and will not defeat evil. Matter of fact, laws can barely contain it. The problems that we're facing are not issues of law, they're issues of the heart. Changing laws does not necessarily change hearts, and I think we all know that. When I look at our world today, I was talking with Renee about that this week and talking maybe with some of you this week, um, I can't remember who it was, but when it comes down to a lot of the problems that are existing within our world today, I think of the fact that if children are raised with parents who instill values into them and instill love into them, we would not see many of the things and many of the problems that we today. So therefore, church, the question is, how can we come alongside of these in a younger generation who may not have the home environment that many of us had growing up? But what can we do to instill love and to instill values into the midst of the children, into the youth, into the young adults that we have all around us? Laws will help, but values and Jesus Christ are what changes a heart. When a heart is transformed, its value system is transformed. I think of stories from uh, evangelists from long ago, Billy Sunday and Billy Graham and others, who when they came into a community, the community was left at a higher moral place than it was before these individuals came in. There was something about the message of Jesus Christ that changed lives individually. And when that happened, it began to change families. Marriages were restored. Lives, people began to have hope where there was no hope. Communities began to see a change in... in um, in violence and in, and in um, breaking of the law, but it, it totally transformed the moral landscape of societies when God became to personally uh, live within uh, a people and live within these communities as you study and look at uh, past evangelists. In a community where love has won, laws are barely needed. In a community where hate lives, laws do almost no good. So how does that love gain a foothold in a, cultural threat, in a culture threatened with hate? The way people will discover that love is when they meet a Christian who behaves like a Christian. And that means that this begins with you and with me. You may have never met a terrorist, but the truth is there are people who you don't like, who I may not like, and that would be a great place to start for each of us. Forgive someone that we actually know. The most radical thing that you can do today to extend love in the face of hate 
maybe, maybe to forgive someone who does not deserve it. It will require all of us, all that you have. In fact, you will not be able to do it. You may actually need a savior to help you. I shared several weeks ago something that has continued to live within me and my conscience and just my mind over these last few weeks is the fact that when we talked about the Holy Spirit, it was almost a month ago now, we talked about the fact that why do we need to be comforted if we're not doing things to make us uncomfortable? And so the Spirit is our comforter and He comes alongside of us to lead us to be bold. He leads us to be at times uncomfortable. You and I today, the church, has been called to be the church, the real, the authentic church, the church that Jesus had in mind. And like John the Baptist, you will be preparing the way for others to hear and to see Christ. There's something asked of us, each of us, to repent, to confess, to humble ourselves, to forgive, to love, to trust. What you're doing and not doing this week matters to God more than ever. John the Baptist challenges us as he sets the scene for the coming of Christ. He is reminding us that you and I are also doing this for others as well. You and I can prepare the way for Christ to come into the lives of those to whom we relate each day. How are we preparing the way for others to come to know Christ? How are we through our words and through our actions and at times through our non-actions preparing the way for others to come to know Christ? The question I have for each of you this morning is do you know Christ? John the Baptist's message was different. Up to this point, the Jews had known and, and had been challenged to follow the law, the letter of the law. And to many of us here today, we have also had those same regulations placed on us. We need to be in church. We need to dress like this. We need to do this. We need to do this and not do this. But the message of Christ today stands for each of us and that we need to come to him to receive forgiveness. It's not about following regulations, but it's about following Christ and the plan that he has for your life and for mine. Do you know Christ this morning? And if you do, how are you leading others, or how are you preparing the way for others to come to know him in a more personal way? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for John the Baptist and this message that challenges us. Lord, as we seek, as he set the scene, Lord, and as we seek to do this for others to come to know you, Lord, teach us new ways, innovative and creative ways of ways that we can prepare the path that we can make straight for others to come easily to hear and to respond to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A message that speaks love in the face of hate. A message that offers grace when grace is undeserved. Father, we've all fallen short of your glory, of your plan. And Father, for true transformation to take place in our lives, we must also do what John the Baptist was challenging others to do, and that is to confess our sins and to turn to you. I pray, Lord, for each one in this place today, Father, that they have done that. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that we can be that voice of hope and we can be that voice of light in the midst of the world, that, the dark world that we live in, and that we can prepare the way for others to come and to experience a life of forgiveness and grace and love that's found only in Jesus Christ. Father, challenge us. Speak to us this morning. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and 
you would like to pray, I would love to, uh, to do that with you down front. If you're here today and desire membership at Boiling Springs Baptist Church, I would love to talk with you more about that as well. Let's stand and sing together. house today. Would you say amen? Amen. Amen. Be sure to speak to some, maybe two or three folks that you haven't spoken to before you leave today. And let me remind, we do have a remembrance lunch for those that have signed up for that. So please be mindful of that. And if you can join us this evening at four o'clock for the caroling and then this evening at 630. If you were not, if you were scheduled to come to the concert on Friday night and were not able, uh, uh, we had that opportunity last night and we will again tonight, but it's at 630 and not 730. So bring an item for the food pantry and come and enjoy a wonderful evening together. There are exciting things happening throughout the week this week. Be mindful of those. I pray that each of you continue to have a wonderful Christmas season and um, we're glad that you're here this morning.